Hi everyone, Samuel here. I just had a couple quick updates before we started the episode. First, I wanted to thank you all for joining us. It has been such a crazy couple weeks for myself, mom, and Sarah, and all of Columbus. So thank you so much for coming back. We really appreciate it. And I am so excited for the direction that this episode is taking us, so double win. I also wanted to let you know about JHR Counseling and Consultation. That's Julie H. Richards, my mom. She's a host on this show, and that's her private practice. So if you are interested in therapy, if you have somebody who is looking for a therapist and is located in Columbus, or now she does this telehealth thing, so if you're located in Ohio, definitely go to jhrcounseling.com. You can check out a lot of her services, a lot of her prices, a lot of her education and history, as well as a link to the show. So win, 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 win. All sorts of wins. So go ahead and check that out. If you are interested in a little time slot like that or a little shout out, go ahead and go to patreon.com backslash communityrootspod where you can donate and um, we will give you some time on the show to shout out some friends, talk about your business, or even, I don't know, tell us about your hobby of bird watching. I'd be very interested in that. Um, but go ahead and check out our Patreon and throw us a couple bones. We, all of this goes back to the show. We don't, all of this show is coming out of our pockets. Go ahead, check out Patreon. The other thing I wanted to say is please contact us if a lot of this stuff hits you or impacts you or reminds you of a story or a memory. Go ahead and reach out. Uh, We have email. We have Facebook. We have Instagram. Um, You can reach us all those ways um, by searching Community Roots Pod or our email is communityroots.pod at gmail.com. But we're just looking to build that community that um, we talk about so much and that's in the name. So don't hesitate to reach out. We love to hear from all of you. And thanks so much for those who have reached out. It's so great. We love talking about um, our, our listeners and um, what they're doing and kind of what they enjoyed. So definitely, it's, it's totally awesome. So I know at this point you're like, get on with the show. But I wanted to let you know about one more thing. So today we are going to be talking about the protests um, in Columbus specifically, but also all around the United States that have to deal with George Floyd's death. And this is a politically charged topic, but we look at it in a way of mental health and what therapists are doing on the ground. That being said, our guests and myself have been to the protests and are kind of connected to it in some ways. So it was hard to filter out some of the more political stuff. So I am entering in this little, I don't know what to call it, a little warning, a little notice. If you are not into this sort of thing, I would just listen next week or go back to one of our older episodes. But I would so, so strongly encourage you to listen to this episode. It's one of togetherness and unity and one built on common goals and good mental health and really just treating people like people. So um, go ahead, make your choice, because it's happening now. You have probably about 30 seconds. But anyway, uh, thanks all so much. I'll see you soon.
everyone. Welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Samuel Richards. I'm Sarah Wakefield. And uh, today we are off the beaten path with Shinesha Yoder and Andy Ruggles. Welcome you both to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Of course. <clears throat> so this past week, obviously, there's been a lot going on, especially in Columbus, after uh, um, just a ton of protests and a ton of activity happening downtown. I was curious, um, Shinesha, what has your experience been? And um, maybe a little bit about your background and kind of what you've brought before this all kind of happened. So my background initially started in working with people with developmental disabilities, right? So uh, going forward from that, I ended up getting married and decided to be a housewife and a mom and started having kids with my wife and then got into the work with Buckeye Region Anti-Violence Organization. Um, when I started with the Buckeye Region Anti-Violence Organization, I was uh, the first person, the first Black person hired at the organization in 23 years. Um, the reputation for the organization, they do really good work. We do good work, but the Black community was definitely um, cautious because there was a lot of issues going on with uh, people accusing the organization of biases and so forth. Coming full circle, we have definitely been able to kind of tear down some of those stereotypes and move forward into a direction of being a, a direct ally of people of color in the community. Um, right now, the issues are pretty, pretty heavy because we're having to battle not only the pandemic, of course, um, but also dealing with people who thought that they were not biased. They didn't think they were prejudiced. They didn't think they were racist or anything like that. And now these things are coming to the forefront. So we're not just dealing with inequalities, but we're also dealing with having to battle um, people and their reaction to what's in their face and what they have to deal with. So our friends and family that are white are now having to also deal with and come into terms with what's been socially acceptable for so long. Definitely. Uh, Andy, I also wanted to add you into the fray and um, you, I know you've been working on mobilizing therapists to uh, help in this crisis and you as well have um, a mental health background. Um, how about you dive into those two things? Uh, sure. Yeah, I um, I started in the field working with uh, kiddos with autism, uh, and then got my master's degree and immediately became a community-based therapist, um, primarily with uh, within the court-ordered system. So I worked a lot with police. I worked a lot with uh, within the court system, um, and then I also worked a lot with homeless youth and predominantly homeless youth of color. Um, so my experience primarily lies in that. Uh, more recently, in, in response to the protests, um, I am helping to organize our uh, mental health professionals in the community, not just therapists, but case managers, um, individuals like Shinesha and Bravo um, within the community through a, a Facebook group called Frontline Emotional Support. 
So we are involved both on the front line um, along with the medics. We're partnering with a lot of the medic units uh, to provide assistance for those that are being triggered or need assistance processing um, and those who are having panic attacks and anxiety attacks as would happen in the middle of a protest about your life. Um, but we're also supporting behind the scenes. So we have a lot of people offering pro bono and discounted um, services as well as people who are assisting in uh, long-term emotional support through um, partnership with Mosaic as well. Yeah, I love this mobilization of the mental health community because I think it's what we need, you know, better practices to get through this. And I also think it hits on a lot of topics that we've talked about on this show, like trauma, um, anxiety, a lot of things that come to the forefront in this sort of thing that um, need to, people need help with or else it completely spirals. They, uh, we've talked about burnout so often. But yeah, I just kind of wanted to help facilitate a conversation around that. Like, how do anyone involved in this, activists, medics, people on the sideline, whoever it is, how, how do they regulate their mental health throughout all this? And what are good mental health practices to use whenever you're in this crisis? Um, I think that adding in, uh, if, if I may, adding in people who are just witnessing this, that is a huge um, experience that people are, are not recognizing. Of, even if you're not on the front line, even if you're providing support through donations to our medics or just checking in uh, with our frontline staff, all those people are being significantly impacted as well by this trauma that is happening. And it is by definition a trauma. Um, so I think that recognizing that we are not alone uh, is, is a huge portion of that. That's why we so, see so much camaraderie with all of these groups, with all of these um, chats, with uh, things happening through Signal and Zello, the, the two walkie-talkie apps. Um, but I think that recognizing that when we're not alone, if we take a step back for a day, or if we turn off our phone for a day, two more people are gonna step forward. And that is um, important to recognize that you can take that time off uh, from being on the front line and still provide that support, but making sure that you can do this for the long run rather than just for a week before being done. So, and for me, similar to Andy, which I never realized how much similarities we have in, in career-wise, um, I also, after working with DD, ended up going into working with children. I worked at the Methodist, United Methodist Children's Home um, and then went into getting a degree in social psychology. And I think what I realized I'm doing is, um, you know, sometimes when you can't control what's going on in your environment, like right now, you just can't control what's going on. So you feel the need to dissect it, right? So you start dissecting and thinking about all the levels and stuff of different things, which causes more anxiety, because then you realize you can't control even the levels that you've dissected figure out, have this whole game plan of how they can fix everything, but you don't feel like you have a voice of how they can fix everything. Amen. So, you know, so you go through this, but then working with children, this is where I feel empowered because I see them as the ones that are going to lead this battle and mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to support and help with their emotional stability in all of this. It starts to be my focus. So. I can't seem to cut it off. Like I can't seem to cut, you know, you're, you see it on TV, you see it on Facebook, you see it everywhere. 
you have to intentionally figure out how to activate your inner self-care self. So we can't go out the way we used to because of the pandemic. We can't have people over the same way we used to because of the pandemic. So how to have that human connection and still feel safe is definitely the challenge. So I built a garden in my backyard. Um, I do these little virtual meetings. I have my first hug, Andy, you don't know this. I met up with Andy to help pass out things to the riot, uh, the people who were protesting water and such. And when I saw Andy and we had our mask on, they immediately grabbed me and hugged me. That was the first hug that I had probably in about over a month or so. And I was kind of like, oh my goodness, you know, um, it's with the exception of my children who, who are little violators. Um, but I was, <laughs> you know, an adult connection. It was amazing. And so I just encourage people to try to figure out who's in their circle, who is safe in their circle at this point. Let's try to weed out those people that are safe and start having some kind of connection. Um, I don't think I don't think it's healthy anymore for us to be the way we are, considering the crisis that we're going through. Mental health is important at this point. Mental stability. In order to continue to do the work, we have to do the internal work. And touch is big for humans. So we have to figure that out. We have to figure out how to connect with someone that has, whether they've been quarantined, but we know they're safe, whatever it is, and we have to start getting back into that connection, I think, to be safe during this time. So Shanisha, you actually bring up a really, it's it's an empirically supported statement in that we need human interaction. So there's actually a um, a researcher named Bruce Perry, who is controversial, um, slightly discredited, but he brings up a really good point that I've seen uh, happen across time and time again with all of my clients in the last decade that I've been doing social work. Um, and he has a three-point model, and it's regulate, relate, reason. So if specifically with a, it's working with trauma, you need to regulate yourself. Then you relate to somebody to provide that connection, and then you can reason through the emotion that you're having. So relate is such a critical part. If, if we're not going to have those connections, then we're not going to survive. Right. And uh, most people would probably disagree with this statement I'm getting ready to make, but it's a protest. It's heavy. It's real. It's not just about George Floyd. It is way deeper than that. It, um, I think, as I stated, I think this was the knee that broke the back of Black people. I think this was the knee that broke the back of white allies. But also, what else is happening in the street? Connection. For the first time in months, people are coming together. And even if they're socially distancing a little with their mask on, they are still feeding the energy, that positive energy, that that feeling like we have power over something. And what we do have power over, we have the ability to change things that are going on right now. And I think they, they're waiting for the protest to die down, but it won't because what people are also getting is this positive, needed connection 
all coming together for one purpose. And we're good at that. In the United States, we will rally for something once we're pissed. But also, we've been separated for so long that mm -hmm. this energy feels good. It is empowering our human nature, our spirit of goodness. And it's making us feel like we are the people that we thought we were. You know, and I think I think it's definitely pushing the movement in a different direction. Absolutely. I, I think that in response to and I, I keep going back to the trauma because that is just it's centuries of trauma that is unfolding systemically right now. And that's what we're seeing. Um, I am a huge advocate for touch. Like you had said, I think that it's proven that um, there are actually therapeutic techniques where uh, you hug the shoulders of someone who's in the middle of a panic attack, and it helps regulate their body. It helps calm it down. Um, so I think that in addition to having this connection, having a march where we are seeing people and hugging people and walking, which is regulatory in and of itself, and uh, being outside in nature when we've been cooped up in our houses for so long. It's all of that is providing a release that we haven't seen for um, a while now due to the pandemic. Yeah, my experience with the protest has been totally, there's music, there's people celebrating and kind of talking. It is a coming together in community. And I've been there when the protest has been bleak as well as happy. And there's still that need to be around people that still drive to connect and <clears throat> I think that's super cool and I totally agree with your analysis something I wanted to go into and I'm going to edit this little part out because I also want to give Sarah an opportunity to talk as well uh, but I'm just going to ask a question and I can re-ask it later if we need to but I wanted to talk about like how to help children through this crisis because I've seen children at this protest and I also know children and this has got to be overwhelming <laughs> and got to be you know it's like whenever I figured out that the rainforest was being cut down like football field a minute I just had anxiety for a week and a half because I'm looking at the clock like hey <laughs> and I know that a lot of kids are experiencing this as well with George Floyd and a lot of Black Lives Matter movements. Um, so I was curious about going into that. Um, I can only, I can give you a perspective of working, at, well, not working. So I have three children. Um, that's I have a, a lot of work. That's an extra job and a half of yeah. time. Yeah. So um, I have three children um, that I have shared custody with my ex-wife. Um, so I have a 12-year-old daughter who will be 13 next month, and my twin boys are 10, and my one son is on the spectrum. I was listening to Andy talk about that needing for that pressure. Um, I have an interesting, unique challenge because having to be careful with talking to my children about Black Lives Matter without making them feel guilty for the white lives that they they are being raised with as well. Okay, so being in an interracial relationship, raising biracial children, and being careful to respect both parts of them at the same time. Um, and also we are raised in a, they're being raised in a very, um, very wealthy neighborhood. So um, 
balancing entitlement and privilege and things like that. One thing I'm noticing is children are extremely smart and resilient right now. Um, they are really picking up the banner and they are ready to go. My daughter was at the march yesterday. She marched from uh, Columbus School for Girls to the march. Um, she made her I can't breathe sign. She uh, had a shirt on saying empowered and I mean, just ready to go. Um, I've been calling her Angela Davis since she was born because I said she was gonna be the next Angela Davis. I was convinced and I believe it. Um, my sons, I took them um, recognizing, I didn't want to expose them to the protesting because I can't, I can't control that environment. Um, I don't think it's, it, for me, it wasn't loving for me to take them in an environment where I can't control. So I took them to a community environment instead. Mm. So I took them to, uh, Mont Vernon did a, where you could make your own sign and they had artists out there and they were doing portraits and they got to make their own sign and they had them up on sticks and everything for them to put in the front yard made them feel like they were a part of it. They got to meet people. They got to be around music and good energy um, and contribute to what's going on. That was important. I think it's important to make sure that children are allowed to show up in a way that they can show up, not mm. to force them to show up in a way that you want to show up. Mm -hmm. I think that can be trauma. Um, no child should be sprayed with mace. No child should be in the middle of that kind of trauma. I don't judge parents for taking their children. I don't, absolutely, because I get it. Um, I totally get it. I think some of the responses to the outside of, of the protests have been inappropriate, which has subjected children to unnecessary trauma. But I didn't want to risk something like that. So my 12-year-old, though I was a little bit panicky about her walking and, and being a part, I knew it was necessary. Um, but my younger children, who are a bit more fragile, I took them somewhere where they could still be a part. And I gave them, I bought them all mini um, cameras, mini Polaroids that they have. And I wanted to see through their eyes what they wanted to tell, what story they wanted to tell. So they took pictures of different things and they all have photo albums and that's gonna be our activity this evening, um, making a memory book so that they can see how they showed up to the protest and how they contributed to Black Lives Matter. That's dope. Shainisha, I just think that's beautiful and giving your children that space to be their own activists without forcing you, like you just said, without um, taking them so they experience your experience, but meeting them at the level that will resonate with them um, in a much more positive, non-traumatic way. Yes, yes. And that's going to be so interesting, too, to see what is in that scrapbook, to see, you know, I just um, got a camera and I was taking pictures of all over the protests and there's so much to see and absorb. And I can only imagine 
I would say also, um, Andy, I would totally want to hear your perspective on children as well. But I did want to say, I wouldn't bring your kids past like 9 p.m. because that's when police get more um, violent. I have seen a family of five get pepper sprayed in the face with the youngest being like a girl between 10 and 12. And so just to say that I think that the afternoons are really safe and the earlier things in the day are very, very safe. Um, And I haven't seen anything regarding that and like i said before it's like a festival there's food and music but uh later in the night i would just caution i'm not a parent so (laughs) i can't make those decisions but just to say that i have seen some pretty graphic stuff i also think that shanisha brought up a really amazing point and that kids are resilient they are so resilient their brains are not yet formed they are able to bounce back from trauma faster than anyone Um, so I think that, uh, recognizing that they're not as, um, as weak as we have this natural protective instinct of them, but they are so, uh, so gung ho to make a difference. And especially this upcoming generation wants, wants to make a difference. They want to see change in ways that we necessarily haven't seen, uh, previously. And because of, um, the internet, because of electronics, they have the capabilities and the tools to make that difference, uh, in ways that, I certainly don't understand. I can barely turn on my computer. Um, <laughs> so when they're talking about all these things that they're doing, I'm like, go for it. Have fun. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here in person. That, that's what I got. Uh, but I wanted to talk about specifically two agencies that uh, parents can talk to um, to get those resources that they need. And one of them is Huckleberry House. Um, previously worked with Huck House as a community-based counselor. They are an amazing, amazing organization um, that uh, serves the youth in our community. They have a couple different programs. They have a youth outreach program that is specifically for youth living on the street, um, 21 to 23 and under. Um, and those are youth that uh, don't have anywhere to go. They don't have resources. So they provide them with uh, resources like food pantries, legal assistance, financial assistance, things like that. Um, they also have a crisis shelter that is open 24-7 that they are, uh, if a kid doesn't have a place to go, uh, they can go to the, the place, uh, to the shelter, or if they don't have a um, correction, if they have conflict within the home, uh, that is a place where you can go for a day or two to help calm down and pr- get those resources that you need to uh, get assistance. Um, they also have a community-based counseling program, and they are currently in process of starting an outpatient counseling program. Uh, all for youth and for families as well. So they are there, they have resources, they can answer the phone and get you to places that you need to be uh, with any questions that you have. Um, Mosaic is also a part of Equitas. They are on Summit uh, and they are specifically for uh, our POC community ages 17 to 29, which are currently the community that we see most active in the protests. They are uh, open on Tuesdays and Thursdays right now. And then I think that they also have some call-in hours. Uh, But reach out to Mosaic. They predominantly work with our non-binary and trans communities of color, but they are open to anyone who needs resources. So um, make sure to reach out to them. And they are also active in the protest as well. And so they have times where you can go in and as a community make signs 
um, they have times where you can go in and just process with one of our mental health professionals that are there. Um, and the great thing about Mosaic that a lot of agencies don't have is that they are a place for people of color by people of color. They are run from their director all the way down to people who live in the community and who are able to be peers rather than white people who have power, which I think is something that the rest of the world needs to learn about. Yeah, the white savior type complex. I was also wondering if we could dive a little bit into like some tips on the ground, like what to do post-processing this sort of thing. And we touched a little bit on regulate, relate, and reason, which I think is so awesome. But I was wondering if you both could sort of dive into sort of some things that you do post-trauma and post just kind of, especially anxiety attacks. I see a lot of things with anxiety attacks. And I think having that hands on their shoulders and squeezing, that's such a good tip as well that I had not heard before. And so kind of things like that, I was curious uh, what sort of um, ideas you all had. Andy, you can talk more about it, but um, you do more clinical therapy. I've had to do, I've not had to do, but I definitely did more work with therapists with children um, who are going through trauma and so forth. And I think it is important to allow some kind of creative outlet for kids when it comes to dealing with anxiety and so forth, allowing whatever, most parents are aware of what kind of ways their children uh, like to deal and show up. So whether your child is a singer, whether they like to write, they like to draw, whatever, you've got to figure out how to tap into that, how to figure out, first of all, figure out what they like, figure out how to do your own research to uh, come up with ways to foster that, whatever that might be. So mm -hmm. Google, Google right. parenting ways to help people be expressive. And that is all the resource that you need. That's real. We do a lot of art therapy in my house. We do a lot of um, singing and movement and yoga and all kinds of just goopy things, trampolines, everything. Uh, you know, my house is kind of set up that way. But I think it's important to figure out, yeah, Google what your kids are into so that when they're talking to you about it, even if you're not interested, because God knows, we all know as parents and, and support people, you get tired of seeing the art. You get tired of hearing the screeching singing that they can't do. But you got to let them show up in the way that they can show up to deal with the anxiety, whatever way that is. And it's hard sometimes because you're dealing as a parent with your own anxiety. But right now, it would be detrimental to forget that these things are just as heavy on their shoulders. They're taking it in the same way that you are. You just also addressed great ways for adults to express anxiety and to get um, those emotions out of their system as well. Yoga, art therapy, singing, dancing, you know, getting that expressiveness, getting that anxiety out um, works not just for children. I think children do that as a instinct. Um, and adults, we, you know, we tend to internalize much more than children would ever think of doing. I just wanted to say, Sarah, real quick, to connect that to one of our prior episodes about trauma, 
where we talk about treating yourself like a child and kind of asking yourself what would it, what would a child need in this instance i think is uh, also a good way to to look at it as well and say so y'all are just being therapists right now you're all doing my job for me <laughs> um andy i think you were taking it or maybe i interrupted chinesha but please continue mm. And Andy, you can tell me this too. I think children, of course, we know the world revol revolves around them. You know, they don't, they, you know, they don't even think about what's going on. That's why they can do goofiness. They can do whatever. They can throw tantrums. They can be happy and whatever, take it or leave it. We know better, right? So we can't do what they can do. Sometimes, you know, you just want to go in the backyard and just yell and scream and kick something and spit or whatever. And I think it's totally appropriate. You know, I was going to say, do it. Mm -hmm. I, I literally went to a, because the movie theaters hadn't opened yet, went to a movie theater in my car and screamed for five and a half minutes. And I felt so good afterwards. And you know what? I had a temper tantrum in my car because the world stinks and it's hard and it's hard to deal with it. But let yourself have those moments. And parents and caregivers, tell your folks you're going in timeout. Mm -hmm. and put yourself in timeout. My kids will knock on the door. I'm like, you know what? I'm in timeout. I was naughty. <laughs> you know, I did it. I did it. Because you need that timeout. You need to say, I got to separate myself out and it's okay. And I'm going to give my perm myself permission to separate from my children in some kind of way. Not just children, whether it's your children, whether you take care of somebody, whether it's or your spouse. spouse yeah, that's what I was getting. Spouse, boyfriend, whoever. Partner or partners. Whether you're on the streets, uh, in a suburb protesting, taking that space to, you know, in that moment, step away and put yourself in timeout. No, or just allowing yourself to go around the corner on the street and do your own screaming or, you know, put yourself in timeout so that you can express. But mm -hmm. go ahead, Andy. Um, I, what I've been seeing a lot of uh, family therapists doing lately is when your kids are having those moments where they're just in their room singing, allow yourself permission to tell your kid, hey, I'm going to go do my own version of singing and take that exact same time that they're using to go for a walk, to go do yoga in the backyard for five minutes, to go play with the pet, to go scream in a car, to go to Starbucks and treat yourself to that $7 frappuccino because you'll want to. Another tip that I've gotten to that I just wanted to bring into my activist friends that will listen to this episode is visualizing like physically just putting it in your mind's eye like a visual barrier or we talked about flicking water off your hands um, is a way that you can kind of like mentally put things into perspective and kind of create. I know whenever I was at the protest, I was visualizing this huge barrier and it allowed me a chance to just breathe. Um, the one more thing I wanted to bring in to as well is, and in a similar way, the idea of boundaries. Like before, we've talked about having one hand up against your yourself and one hand out in front. So you, you have that space there. And uh, I think especially whenever you have kids, like your stress compounds. You're worried about their stress and you're worried about the stuff that you, everybody else is worried about. So... Um, I think being good with those boundaries is that extra step. But for for those of our listeners that aren't necessarily that creative with visualizations, uh, I always point out the internet, uh, YouTube. If you type in five minute meditation, it will do a guided visual meditation. 
um, if you aren't able to do that flick. I use the bonfire method where I imagine myself lighting on fire and all of my anxiety going out as smoke and burning away. Um, or the more significant one that I use for people who are going through trauma is called the world ends meditation, uh, where you visualize the worst possible situation. It's for those that can't turn your brain off. When, when your anxiety is so bad that you imagine everyone you love being hurt, um, which is possible in today's day and age, um, imagine the worst possible situation in, in everything. Uh, and let all of that anxiety happen, and then your brain will naturally turn it off. Your brain will only allow you to process that trauma for so long before it shuts your body off and allows you to sleep. So I use that before I go to bed sometimes, especially when I'm out involved on the streets and can't turn my head off. Um, but use YouTube, use, uh, use Google, use all of these techniques, um, because really that's what, that's what social workers do. We have a uh, a master's degree and how to Google. That is that is what we do. Um, but yeah, use all of those resources at your disposal or go to your favorite bookstore and look up self-care, um, whether that's coloring and allowing yourself five, 10 minutes a day, um, coloring or meditation or cooking, um, anything in those help books allows you to have that time. And you can normally get those for a dollar to at half price books and allow yourself that time to take care of yourself. No, it's wonderful. And I just wanted, you mentioned the streets and I just wanted to know what advice you would give and what you're seeing and what's making the most impact for people who are experiencing anxiety and panic um, and or physical reactions to what they're seeing in the protest, what you're doing on the front lines to help people and what people can be doing for themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, so there are, uh, so I actually am currently going through my own trauma therapy um, and proud to admit that even helpers need help. Um, but I have been taking, because this is, this this podcast itself is sometimes a little bit triggering for me, just thinking about everything that we're going through right now. So I allow myself to take time and really focus on my breath. Um, so I always, a lot of people, when they focus on breath, they focus on the in-breath, but that's not what you want to do. You want to focus on the out breath and getting all of that stress out of your body. So uh, there are two simple techniques. The first one is a three, five count breath. Breathe in for three, out for five, and really control that breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. Um, and the second one is a technique called five, four, three, two, one. And it's a way to ground yourself when you're feeling very overwhelmed. And it's by listing and bringing yourself back to consciousness, five things that you see four things that you can touch and what they feel like, three things that you hear, two things that you smell or can taste, and one positive thing about yourself in that moment. Just five, four, three, two, one. I love that. Both of those take a solid 90 seconds and bring you back down to center, especially for those that are involved in the street protests. You, we need to take care of ourselves. Um, also, drinking water and eating food. Time does not exist in a protest, so you need to make sure that you are sipping on water and eating some sort of protein snack and some sort of full meal each day, um, especially for those of us, like Sam had mentioned earlier, involved all week in protests. We need to make sure that we take time to actually eat a meal each day and really focus on that, that process of eating and actually chewing and not scarfing it down in five seconds. Mm -hmm. 
And let me just throw in there as well. Um, so I only gone, I went with Andy to uh, Trinity Episcopal Church as well. And I've done the things with my children. But what I noticed is even the heaviness of everything that's going on, my uh, ability to eat is, is just, the appetite gone. is like gone. Um, it's almost like uh, the thought of eating is, is a problem. And I'm going to say people of color, we don't take care of self-care at all. We don't usually rely on um, outside help for those kind of things because there's a notion that you just keep pushing, you just keep going. And I would encourage folks, I know for me, when I'm feeling overwhelmed about everything, I remember the leaders that went before me. And I just sit and I just think to myself, they did it, this person did it. This person was hosed in the street. This person had dogs, you know, coming after them in the 60s and they survived and they're here and they're still, um, their message is still coming through, whether they're in the grave, whether they're alive, they're still speaking to us about how to do what we do. And it's very impactful to sit and just visualize those things that they made it, they were, it was a purpose, you will, your voice will be heard. Help me to just sit back and go, everything is for a reason and I'll be fine. Everyone has to figure out how to ground themselves in a way that works for them, so to speak. Um, whatever way that is. I, Andy, I know you're, I use that with my kids, actually. The touch, smell, to get themselves regulated. Um, but I know sometimes when you're in the middle, it can be so difficult to just stop and do that. You right. have to almost intentionally do something to give yourself a trigger to say, oh, that's it, I need to stop. I would, Fitbit. What I've been seeing people do is set a timer. Once an hour, they step away for two minutes, they breathe, they drink water, they eat, and then they go right back in. And I've had to do that. Like I said, it was my Fitbit. I have, yep. I've had to do that. And Fitbit has meditations, one minute, called body check scans, yes. where for one minute, you just, they say, how did your feet feel? Feel your fingers? Feel that, you for, know. Those, for those that are uh, in the field, that's called progressive relaxation. That's actually a therapeutic technique. Gotta love that Fitbit. Buzzword. That's like Jeopardy worthy right there. <laughs> I also think that one extra thing that people can do, anyone, uh, if you are comfortable, asking for a really big hug. Um, it allows that pressure that we apply to kids who are on the spectrum, but it is something naturally soothing that hug allows, a, it provokes an internal response, almost like a primal instinct of feeling protected. So allowing yourself to be hugged by someone. Uh, if you can find someone you care, if not, then asking a random person, hey, can we hug? Serotonin. No, we're all in this community together. Serotonin it, is great. It releases serotonin. Uh, they decide how touch releases all of that. There's actually a lot of protesters with signs that say free hugs, so you'll be in luck. But um, I did want to say, uh, just from a producing standpoint, that we are at time. And so what I was thinking is we end each episode with some gratitude. So I'll introduce that. But essentially, I was thinking if we could briefly go around, just say some things that we're grateful for. And then um, I'll end the episode, restart another one, we'll hop right in. I actually think I would prefer a five minute break 
just so I can walk around. I had to stand up a little bit <laughs> just to get that blood moving, you know? So I would say if we can wrap it up within five minutes and then start again at 1120, then that'll give us all an opportunity to take a break. So I'll introduce that. Um, every episode, we end with gratitudes. I think that's also a good way to kind of help your mental health is kind of ground yourself. And we've said this before, even Andy saying uh, one thing that you like about yourself in this moment. I think uh, those are also good as well. So um, I will say my gratitude right now is the sense of community that I feel whenever I go to these protests. Like everyone there seems like they're on the same side. They want to help each other. There, there's a general understanding for um, togetherness and unity and coming together. And I also think that there's a lot of excitement and a lot of the air of change, you know, is a good thing. And I enjoy that smell, you know. And so I think that that's one thing I'm grateful for, for sure. Um, I will go ahead and say that immediately when Samuel said, what are we grateful for? My three words were people coming together um, and for change, for support, um, to just come together to, to experience humanity um, in all aspects. And I think these protests and this call, this cry, this hurting that's coming to, uh, bubbling to the surface um, is, you know, triggering all these, not triggering mentally triggering, but um, like in a bad way, but um, allowing for us all to come together and, and ex after a, what we're on 100 days almost of um, quarantine of, of, you know, mostly sheltering in place. Um, and to see, to see all of this happening, but to see all the people coming together, I think I'm just so grateful to witness this and be a part of it. Um, I am actually grateful for people showing their true colors right now. Um, I particularly work within the entertainment community and I'm really excited to no longer book people in my shows who are not showing up or showing out. Um, because we see you, we see when you're not, not doing stuff. So I'm actually really grateful for being able to get rid of that toxic influence in my life. And those people who don't believe that all, all life truly should exist cohesively. Um, gratitude. I'm grateful for the team of people in my community that is in my life. I am grateful for the opportunity to educate and to show up and be present and still be healthy. I'm, that's my gratitude. My, my gratitude is for my, my team, my business family, the people in my world are just beautiful right now. I totally wanted to echo that. Just showing up, I feel on the streets, I look around and I recognize so many people. And I'm so glad too that the movements now are so intersectional and more accepting. And there's a lot of hope out of this. And um, I don't know what everybody's experience has been in terms of uh, how they view the world or what sort of feedback they're getting from these movements, but I see positivity and I see a good change. Thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. Uh, we'll actually be back right next week with uh, Andy and Shinesha as well. Um, and 
So definitely check it out. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you soon.